Well, this morning, I want to return to our series on Moses, looking at him as a role model for the church. And, you know, Pastor Bailey, or the Lord spoke to Pastor Bailey that, that Moses is to be the role model for the church of the last days. And so that's something we should pay attention to, and we want to learn the lessons that God has for us in, in looking at, at the life of Moses. And how the, we kind of left off in the last part of message in this series uh, on the Lord's account of Moses, of how Moses fled in faith. And, you know, that's because Moses was able to pick himself up after his failure, and he looked to God and, and believe in his plan and allow God to work. And so when God summarizes that, that time period, he sees a work of faith that was, he was able to do in Moses and that was able to take place. And, you know, and that's really wonderful. And it, it's encouraging uh, because even when we fall short of the glory of God, as is the definition of sin, Right, that, that we can look to him and he can give us an opportunity to allow an eternal work to be done. And that and when God looks back, that's what he sees. He sees our response of faith. And that's what's recorded. And so that's that's encouraging. Encouraging to me. I don't know if any of you have trouble with, you know, sometimes messing up or, you know, not doing exactly what's right, but yet when we look to God in faith and we allow that work to be done, that's what he sees. And so, you know, Moses is led into the wilderness where the Lord has prepared a, a place for him. He's learning many of the lessons. Actually, Moses, he goes into the wilderness and he learns many of the lessons that Israel is going to face and experience uh, that they're going to have to go through. A uh, big one is humility. You know, learning to be totally dependent uh, upon the Lord. And, you know, before Moses might have had some grand thoughts of how God was going to use him to be a deliverer for Israel, um, you know, and all the glory that was ahead, you know, with that thought of being the deliverer. And, you know, that's kind of the danger of, of having grand thoughts, uh, you know, is that, you can kind of think, well, I'm going to slip right into that glory. And, you know, maybe we can start to bring that to pass a little sooner. Maybe if I add some effort into that, I can help God out and start to bring those glorious things to pass. And, and so, you know, when, of course, we, tr we have to do that in our own wisdom when we try to help God. Uh, but that has the potential to cause a lot of trouble. So Moses said, well, oh, there's one of those mean taskmasters afflicting one of my brethren. So I'm going to intervene. And of course, that the story, we know the story, it brought along a death. But now Moses is in the wilderness and God is working all of those ideas out of him, working all of those, those concepts out of him of self-glory, self-ambition, so that when Moses meets the Lord at the burning bush, basically Moses says, who am I? You know that you're gonna that you're gonna send me. He even says, "Lord, maybe you should choose someone else because I don't have what it takes." But it, it represents a deep work that was done in the wilderness to bring him to this point of transition, 
of being the deliverer. And, you know, we've covered that point of humility previously, but at one last thought on, on the work that had been done in Moses, you know, God first wants to deal with who we are and, and what we think of ourselves. Uh, you know, God dealt that with that in Moses, thinking too much of, of himself or thinking he could do something. But now there's a change because Moses says, well, who am I that I can do that? And God responds, well, I am that I am. And so that's the name Moses was to give to Israel. The I am sent me. But, you know, God, he first took the eyes of Moses off of himself. And, and now the I am is saying, consider who I am. Put your eyes on me to become a deliverer, to overcome, to conquer. And, you know, we considered that thought previously of, of having an excellent spirit or a, a, a different spirit that was upon Caleb and Joshua. But they, that part of what made them have that excellent spirit is they kept their eyes on the I am mm -hmm. and the one who could do all things. And so that's, that's a part of what God wants to accomplish in us so that he can transition us to that place of doing his will and fulfilling our plan in life. And so at the burning bush, that's where this transition starts to take place in, in Moses' life. Or maybe you could say confirmation where, where God puts his hand upon Moses. But, but really it's, it's confirming a work that's been done in the wilderness. You know, what took place in Moses' heart to bring him to that point. And, and really, I think this represents what Moses became at the burning bush, right? Is that Moses kind of became that firebrand that set many people alight, um, many people of Israel alight. Uh, well, not too many in that generation, <laughs> but many people to come in that in succeeding generations, but then also us who are the sons and daughters of Abraham, right? Set them on fire. Uh, a quote that's commonly attributed to John Wesley is, he said, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. <laughs> but there's something about that, that thought that, you know, when someone has the fire of God, it, it attracts people. It draws them, and you know some whose hearts are, are, are open, maybe in, in that have that right condition, a flame can be transferred into their heart. You know, and that's that's really one of the the key aspects of a true deliverer, is that deliverance comes from that transfer of the flame, or the lighting of the flame of God, of, of the fire of God in the hearts of those who are who are hearing those who listen. You know, Jesus said this of, of John the Baptist. He said in, in John 5 and verse 35, it said, he was a burning and a shining light and you were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. Now, of course, John the, John the Baptist, his whole ministry was the wilderness. That's where he started. That's where it took place. You know, and people came to the wilderness to see a man set on fire and they they saw the fire of God 
and the whole nation, right? their, their whole focus, so much so that the, the Pharisees were afraid to say a single word against John. Why was that? Because Israel saw a man on fire. And some came to marvel and see the spectacle of, the, of the, someone on fire, right? Of, of someone who has the fire of God. But others were set alight themselves, right? And they were changed because the fire was put into their hearts, like the disciples and many others in Israel. And so let's read aloud, uh, if we could, of this account of the burning bush. And, and from this, I want to consider three things that we can observe concerning this experience and uh, because we, we want to look at this as something that can take place in, in our lives so that we can become that burning and shining light for Christ. And so in Exodus chapter 3, this is when a change comes with Moses and there's a transition from the wilderness to being a deliverer. And it says in Exodus 3 and verse 1, it says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and they, he led the flock to the back of the desert, right? I mean, he was in the wilderness, but now he's in like the wilderness section of the wilderness, the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. And he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I'm going to turn aside. And I want to see this great sight, why this bush does not burn, why it's not totally consumed. And so the, the first thing we can consider from this was this desire or this hunger that Moses had that, that led him to the bush. Right? And so he had this hunger. He said, I'm going to turn aside. I want to see what this is. I, uh, there's something in this that... I want to experience. And I, I think we can understand this, that there's a, he was in the wilderness and he had a hunger to meet God in a new way after a long time of kind of walking in dry places. Of course, we could consider the words of, of the Lord in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. Uh, I think in the wilderness, Moses had become desperately hungry for God, for meeting him, for having an experience, being led by him, because he knew he, God had a plan for his life and it wasn't going to be fulfilled just being a natural shepherd in the wilderness. And so he's like, I'm just, I'm hungry to meet with God. And, you know, we can only really fulfill our purposes in life if we're hungry, if we hunger and thirst uh, for God. And sometimes we battle with other, other hungers and other desires and, and so forth, other ambitions. And what is God's answer for that? It's the wilderness. You know, I mentioned before Moses experienced many of the lessons that Israel would face in the wilderness. And of course, Deuteronomy uh, later on, that's kind of at the end of, of the ministry of Moses in Deuteronomy. He's recounting Israel's story, but really it's also his own story. And so in, in Deuteronomy 8, in verse 2, 
It says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and be fed with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, we consider humility, which is that total dependence um, upon the Lord. That was accomplished in Moses' life in the wilderness. But, but it said God also led him there to allow him to hunger, maybe to create a hunger and a desire for God. And, you know, in life we can have seasons where we experience the power of God and we, you know, experience manifestations of, of the life of the Spirit and, you know, mighty experiences, but, you know, pres- His presence, His glory, and so forth. But then there's other seasons where it's like He reduces everything to just like a little drip or a little drop of dew or little pieces of bread, little words of direction or maybe even a still small voice. And it can make us hungry because we're, we, we're receiving a little bit, but we want more. We desire more. You know, we want to experience him more. <clears throat> but of course, at, at that point, we have a test, right? We have a choice because we can either develop a hunger or we can turn to other things for that hunger to satisfy us, uh, to try and fill the void, so to speak. And, you know, in Israel's case, it was a thirst. And God told them uh, through Jeremiah, one of the things he told them was, you're filling yourselves with other things. And it's like you're pouring water into a broken cistern and it just keeps draining out because it's a wrong thirst a wrong desire and you're feeding on. He says this in Jeremiah 2, 13. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's really the result of trying to fill the void in our lives of that season of action and the liveliness that that often can take place in the Christian life, especially when we're young Christians, you know, and God brings us into the vitality of, of meeting him. But then things become to kind of start to settle and it just becomes a regular day-to-day living. Israel started to fill themselves with other things, things that felt good for a time and they made, th- made life exciting, but ultimately, from, from in the kingdom of God and from spiritual life, it didn't satisfy. In fact, it brought death. And, you know, what God wants to do in these times and in these seasons in the wilderness is to develop a divine hunger and a divine thirst that in the lean times will thirst for every drop of dew of the living water. And we hunger for every little word and we treasure it and we feed upon it, meditate upon it. We appreciate it and we, we learn to live by every little piece, piece of life that we receive. So 
that when the season of activity returns, right, because eventually it does, but that we don't get distracted by the activity because that's the other side of danger, right, is that if we get focused on the activity, the flame can also die out, right, because that was, that's what the problem with Ephesus, right, God was probably moving, there was lots of activity, there was lots of, of things taking place, probably lots of examples of power and so forth. And people got so caught up in the activity and the works and, and so forth, they lost sight of living by every word, that, of living by every drop of dew. And they lost the life. And of course, God said, I'm about to take my candlestick out of your midst. I'm about to take my divine light out of your church. And they were about to become a dark church. And God said, renew what you've lost. Renew your first love. And, you know, I think God is taking many people, uh, many righteous saints through this season, you know, where we, we long to see God move. We long to see uh, the power and the glory, as the psalmist says, as I've seen you in the sanctuary before. But right now, it's like we're living for, with every drop of dew, you know, between drop to drop. And we're, we're, we're learning to value the life that we can obtain from God in, in small ways. But if we learn from that, it'll cause us to flourish in times to come when, well, yeah, God's going to move in power and glory. But, you know, it's not the power and glory that save us or that even make us righteous or do a work in us, it's by learning to live from, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so there's that need for the hunger and the desire for his presence and the life of his presence. Now, another aspect of the bush, I, I spent a long time on the first aspect, but we'll just look at these two aspects here quickly. Another aspect of the bush that was quite miraculous was that it was on fire. But it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being destroyed. And, and that's a very, another significant aspect of the preparation of the Lord to be a deliverer of experiencing the fire of God. And of course, we're not necessarily speaking of revival fire at this point. That comes later in the story on Mount Sinai. But, but really, it's, it's kind of like it's stated in Hebrews 12 and verse 29, where it says, our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. Now, that might seem the opposite of what we're saying because, well, the bush wasn't being consumed. But, but really, to be that bright and shining light, we have to have the fire of God in our lives but it has to be in a way that it, it can burn brightly, but we're not consumed or destroyed. But really what it speaks of is that in the wilderness, God is dealing with all the things that can be consumed and destroyed, right? With the wood, hay, and stubble, or the chaff, or maybe the dross from the gold and silver that comes to the surface in the fire. You know, we're called to be vessels of honor, and so, God, so often God turns up the heat and the dross in our life suddenly comes to the surface and it's revealed. And he, he wants to come and just scoop that out 
and leave something refined. You know, Proverbs 25 verse 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes forth a vessel for the refiner that he can use and he can shape into something beautiful in his house. And so, of course, we're chosen in the fire of affliction, as it says, um, you know, in the prophets, in Isaiah. You know, we're chosen and commissioned with the fire. And, and before we're put into the fire, we're not exactly perfect, right? There's some things that have to be deal, dealt with and consumed. But as we yield our bodies as a living sacrifice, he consumes what needs to be consumed and what remains is preserved in the fire. And that's what matters the most. So that's the state God wants to bring us to. Now, I think there's few better stories in Scripture that illustrate this than Daniel's three friends. I think we mentioned it a little bit last week, but you know that the story in Daniel 3 where Nebuchadnezzar builds an image and you know it commands everyone to bow down to it, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. And they tell the king, we're not, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, right? There's no other response. We're not even thinking of any response. The response is, you will not get our worship. We won't bow down. And what's the outcome? They're put into the fire. You know, that's, that's the, uh, you could say, the reward <laughs> of standing for righteousness. It's the fire. And, you know, the king says, ha, take this. I'm going to put you in the fire. But God says, oh, I'm going to give you a reward, which is the fire. But it is a reward because as we see what happens, it, it doesn't have the attended effect that Nebuchadnezzar thought it would. Right? Because instead of destroying them, it sets them free. Because they're, they're walking around in the fire, and instead of being bound, they're free. And so that's, that's the result of the fire of God. It consumes the bondages that we struggle with. Right? And, and that's the characteristic of the true fire of God. For the wicked, it's quite unpleasant because it's destroying everything precious to them. Uh, and, but for the righteous and those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it consumes what is preventing us from running our race and from following the Lord. And so it's, it's really, it's essential that we, that we say, Lord, bring your fire and consume those things that, that are binding me or preventing me from running my race and for helping, causing me to be fruitful you know, set me free. Now, of course, we have to be prepared in our spirits for God to take his dial of fire dial and crank it up a little bit, sometimes a lot. Right? But also we have the second outcome of the fire is the Lord was in that fire. They met God. Daniel's three friends met God because, you know, the king, it said he looked into the fire and he said, I thought we put three men, but there's four in there. And the fourth looks like the son of God. And so when God turns up the heat, we don't want to run for it because that could be the very answer to our prayers that we've been praying to set us free and to have a new meeting with him. That's because we're chosen and commissioned in the fire. One last little thought here. We'll close with this. But, you know, is that when Moses came before the bush, the, the burning bush, the Lord said to him, Exodus 3, 5, he said, 
Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And so that's the goal, that to minister unto God as Moses did, coming into his presence to come within the veil. Because, you know, in a sense, even though Moses was a brother of Aaron, he kind of went beyond the priesthood, right? Because he would go in and out daily within the veil into the presence of God. And to do that requires a work of holiness. And so, of course, holiness is that thought of being set apart, separated from the world and from sin and joined to God. And, and so in the, world, in the wilderness, God wants to do a work of separation. And it's really holiness that lays the foundation to that awesome relationship that Moses had with the Lord. There's no way he could experience the glory of God without holiness, without that work of holiness done in his life where he could come in and out of the presence of God and, and his, he could even absorb the glory of God so that his body just physically reflected that glory before Israel. You know, that's really one of the greatest keys and something we have to cry out for to come into our inheritance. You know, to walk in the ways of Moses, who's a role model for the church of the last days, is one of holiness. You know, Obadiah 1 and verse 7, it says, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Right? That's Moses, the deliverer. So those who are, who are walking in Zion are going to be like Moses, the deliverer, and there shall be holiness. You know, that's really one of the key characteristics that God wants to work and do. And it says, In the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And so there's a picture of of saints who have entered in to those things of Moses to be a deliverer, but it's through holiness, and they are able to possess the land, their inheritance. And so our prayer has to be, Lord, lead me to Zion, to spiritual Zion, to be the place of the deliverer, where we are delivered, but we can bring deliverance to other people because our testimony is one of holiness, of being set apart to walk with God and so that we can become that bright and burning light to those around us and to the nations. Let's pray together. Lord, we just look to you and we see the example of what you, you did in the life of Moses. And Lord, we're just desiring you. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, as you're taking us through seasons, Lord, of, of sometimes of activity, but sometimes of where it's just little drops of life, of your presence, drops of your word, Lord, of your bread. Oh God, would you just create a new hunger and a new thirst and a new desire in our life, in our hearts for you. Oh God, put that hunger within us. And Lord, we pray that your divine fire would do a good work within us. Lord, just come and consume what needs to be consumed and set us free Lord, that we can be free in your presence. Lord, and that we can be like that burning bush that's on fire, but not consumed because your work is done. And Lord, that work of holiness, oh Lord, that work that only you can do, set us apart for you. Oh, accomplish your work within our lives that we can walk in the way of your servant Moses, who is a picture of you, 
our true high priest. Do that work. Accomplish it in us, we pray, that we could enter into heavenly Mount Zion as our possession for all eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.